This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you are with us. Wayne County law enforcement and jail officials have exposed inmates to an unnecessary risk of infection, illness, or death during the coronavirus pandemic. That is according to inmates, attorneys, and civil rights organizations that are suing county officials over the conditions in Wayne County jail facilities. People working on the case have interviewed dozens of detainees, and they say the jail is completely unprepared and ill-equipped to prevent or contain a mass COVID-19 outbreak. They want the county to immediately release all medically vulnerable detainees and implement basic protective measures for detainees who would stay inside the jail. We reached out to the county for comment. Officials said they could not join the show because this litigation is pending. But joining us now to talk about this suit are two people who are involved with it. Allison Krieger is an attorney with the Detroit-based law firm Lorene and Krieger, which has filed this lawsuit against Wayne County officials. Allison, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yes. Also with us is Nicholas Buckingham. He's a campaign director for Michigan Liberation, a criminal justice reform organization that is partnering on the lawsuit against Wayne County officials. Nicholas, welcome to Detroit Today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So as I said in the open, you guys have spoken with dozens of detainees in the jail about conditions inside. We have also here on the program talked uh, recently about the things that are going on inside uh, Wayne County's uh, jails. Uh, Kurt, uh, 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 I'm going to for, forget his last name, on, right here on the air, uh, of the ACLU, uh, talked several times with, uh, with some detainees, and we heard from them. Tell us what you are hearing from people who are stuck inside the Wayne County Jail. Nick, did you want to take this or do you want me to hop in? Um, yeah, I can take this. Yeah, um, ahead, so, yeah so like we're, we're hearing a lot of things that's happening inside the county jail, not only from the folks that are currently incarcerated in there, but we're also bailing people out um, to this very day in both Wayne and Oakland County Jail. So as we're bailing people out of jail, you know, we're having extensive conversations with them in regards to the conditions. And, you know, we're hearing everything from officers not wearing their masks, um, they're not passing out masks to uh, several of the incarcerated population in there. And just last week in Division Two, there was a flood inside the jail uh, where many of these people that were incarcerated in there have to clean up the feces and the urine that were coming up from, from the toilets. And if we understand how this virus is contracting and how it's passed, you know, feces and urine is one of those factors to, to spread this virus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kurt Guyad is the name that I blanked on there. I can't believe that. I've known him for a long time and uh, we've done some uh, work together and uh, he is uh, working with the uh, with the ACLU uh, trying to, to also document what is going on inside the jails. Uh, Allison Krieger, what Nicholas Buckingham describes there is absolutely at the crux of this lawsuit that you have filed against Wayne County officials. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we began interviewing folks inside of the jail in late March. We've continued to, in real time, to interview folks to get a sense of what's going on, what's changed in response to the lawsuit. But essentially, uh, we were listening to the jail's public claims about what they were doing for folks held inside. And then 
noticed that it was substantially different from the um, versions of events that we were getting from detainees. And uh, after interviewing, you know, dozens of folks across units, across divisions about what was happening, it, it became obvious that um, the jail is just not, quite frankly, not doing what it, it says it's doing. Um, and more specifically, the what we've heard is extremely troubling um, inside, really, or outside of a pandemic, but particularly uh, in the context of COVID-19, um, detainees, although um, protective measures and or lack thereof vary from unit to unit or, or division to division, um, the basic message is folks don't have access to basic hygiene products. Mm -hmm. um, in many units or across Division two, folks get two or three hotel-sized bars of soap weekly. If they run out, requests for additional soap are denied. Um, folks get, you know, one roll of toilet paper a week or two rolls of toilet paper a week. If they run out, they have to borrow toilet paper from another detainee. Uh, folks are supposed to get clean linens and uniforms um, every other week, which arguably is insufficient anyway. But uh, what we've heard is that laundry has been delayed, um, that you know, folks are in the same uniforms for three weeks, sleeping on the same linens for three weeks. Um, we've heard that social distancing, which is, the CDC has said is the cornerstone of um, ensure, mitigating the spread of infection, is just not being achieved and, and it's just impossible uh, within divisions one and two, certainly. And in fact, one of our requests for relief is that division two just shut down completely because uh, folks cannot meaningfully socially distance within the jail. Um, additionally, we've heard there's absolutely or very, very little information um, being shared with detainees about COVID. Mm -hmm. um, there's no information about the symptoms um, the jail that the jail won't share any information there are some posters hanging throughout the facility um, it, which advise detainees to quote use tissue um, but the jail doesn't provide detainees with tissue there's nothing no information about how to use masks or otherwise protect yourself um, a couple of additional um, pieces that are particularly troubling is that um, medical care is inadequate, that um, staffing levels are down. Um, uh, this was reported earlier in the news, two jail physicians um, both died of COVID-19, including the jail's medical director, mm -hmm. which is obviously tragic. Um, but requests for medical attention outside of the pandemic um, are not taken not taken seriously they're either dismissed or responses are delayed um, inside of the pandemic folks are dissuaded from um, filing what are called medical kites which are formal requests for medical care um, and also troubling uh, detainees have reported and and we found that um, folks have been disciplined for attempting to call uh, attention to their conditions right. and all they're asking for is for the jail to to treat them like human beings 
Um, and to take their, their public health concerns seriously, which is what uh, mm-hmm. we're asking everybody uh, to do right now. Uh, what are you hoping to achieve with the lawsuit? Uh, what, what are the outcomes that you think uh, w- would, would make this better, Allison? We're, well, our original request for relief as filed in the federal case um, has changed a bit. Um, we are now, um, we've now reopened the 1971 conditions action in state court and are pursuing relief there. Um, in the last few days, we've received some information that uh, makes clear that this is even more urgent than we initially believed. We, there are uh, test results that show a prox- an inf- infection rate of about 25%, um, which is staggering, and um, either infection and or previously infected, so have antibodies, to be clear. Um, also, we had an inspection um, done of the jail. We, the plaintiffs asked for an inspection of the jail, which we believe to be just sort of a baseline start. And, and I am getting to, to your question, uh, I promise, Stephen. Um, but uh, that inspection, although I, I'm not at liberty to share the findings of that report because the county requested that uh, remain under seal or non-public, at least for now. Um, Obviously, we believe that the public has a clear interest in um, seeing what's happening inside of the jail to the extent it doesn't compromise sensitive information. But in any event, um, effectively, both of these substantiate um, the attestations of the witness declarants and plaintiffs, and also support our request for relief, which is just, one, the basic or implementation of basic protective measures, you know, um, the kind of stuff that we would enjoy every day, like the ability to wash your hands frequently, mm-hmm. um, to clean high-touch surfaces with products that actually kill the virus, which we're not seeing right now, um, the ability to meaningfully social distance, all of those factors that the CDC has identified as being um, significant and, and just critically important to preventing the spread of and, and actually infection itself. And then the second uh, part of this that changed, um, our request for release that changed after specifically um, these results and uh, Dr. Rotnick's report is that uh, the jail population needs to be decreased to the extent necessary to be able to implement social distancing across all three divisions, and that really means shutting down Division Two. Hmm. Um, for example, uh, the, the hallways are set up such that uh, guards doing um, or deputies doing routine rounds are unable to maintain that six-foot distance. Sure, sure. Uh, Nicholas Buckingham, uh, you spent uh, eight years in prison, uh, and and it seems to me that some of what you guys are getting at here is that the prison experience itself is just incompatible with the kinds of things that we're being asked to do and the challenges that we're being asked to meet because of this uh, of this pandemic and of course uh, the work that you do as campaign director for Michigan Liberation uh, I, I think uh, focuses a lot on on that point and that dimension of this 
of this conversation that there are sort of fundamental drawbacks and difficulties with the idea of incarcerating uh, as many people as we do and doing it in the in the fashion that we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, you know, we're doing this work. One of the things, you know, to come out of this is how not to revert back to to the situation that we're in now. When we look at the county jails and we look at the prisons in Michigan, one overall problem is that is there's overcrowdedness that's happening, mm-hmm. right? And we can't separate. We cannot do the six feet uh, social distancing or protect ourselves behind these incarcerated um, confinements with, with the with the amount of people that are inside of these facilities. So we've been advocating way before the COVID-19 has taken place. But now that the virus is inside these facilities, we see the numbers in MDOC are skyrocketing. Um, and, you know, we're also seeing these numbers are are trickling within the county jail and, and making an expedited, um, you know, approach to get folks out. But the one like moving forward, once we move in like past COVID-19, we move in in 2021, 2022. I think now our legislators have to think about the laws that are in place, the laws that needs to be changed so that we will not have the problem of our incarceral facilities to be overcrowded. We won't be sending the people to jail and prison for long extended amounts of time um, and giving people an option or opportunity to actually come out and also not to run back into this roadblock with the virus again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Allison Krieger, uh, one question I think people have when when they think about these challenges to 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 the incarceration that's taking place during the pandemic is whether a mass release of prisoners you are talking about medically vulnerable prisoners getting out but but should anybody who is not for instance in for a, a violent uh, offense uh, be considered for release at least during the pandemic so that we don't have these kinds of issues uh, effectively for the medically vulnerable continued confinement um, is a death sentence mm-hmm. Um, certainly, presumptively innocent folks uh, don't deserve that. I mean, no one really deserves that. But even if you think about folks who are serving sentences in county jails, we're talking about folks who have received, who have gotten sentences of 12 months or less. Um, nobody, you know, we abolished the death penalty in Michigan a long time ago. Um, that should apply in this case, too. Mm. Uh, We understand that the jail isn't going to be able to release everybody and that we need to do this in a safe and responsible way, but it is absolutely unacceptable to continue to confine people when it poses a severe um, health risk and risk of death. Okay, Allison Krieger and Nicholas Buckingham, was great to have you here to talk about this lawsuit and the wider issues of incarceration. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Stephen, for having us. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow for a conversation about the American values of freedom and liberty and how they're in direct conflict with the public safety call to wear masks for the safety of ourselves and others. Or are they in conflict with those values? This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.